0: Hello and welcome to Mind & Money, the series where we discuss how what goes on in your brain as well as your background affects what you do with your cash. I'm Becky O'Connor and I'm pleased as ever to have Greg Davis, Head of Behavioural Finance at Oxford Risk with me today. So today we're going to cover big themes as we always do, but it's, it's a question that's been niggling me for a long time and we're going to be talking about whether confidence and cleverness are essential ingredients in the recipe for investment success. And Greg knows a thing or two about investment behaviours and what we need to be good investors. So I don't know if we should take them together or one at a time. It feels like maybe we should go with confidence first. Do you need to be confident? We're not talking about life in general. We Well, we can do, but maybe we should just start with investment first.
1: Yeah. So I mean, the interesting thing is taking them one at a time. I think when it comes to investing, they are often linked. People think of them as being together. I'm a clever and confident investor, etc. But you're right. Let's let's take confidence first. Um, the answer here is no, in general. And in fact, I would go substantially further than that. Is to say that overconfidence. Is probably one of the big dangers of investing. So, if you are confident, not only is it not necessary to be confident to be a good investor, but actually it could be extremely harmful. Now, the one exception I would make to that is you have to be confident enough to get going in the first place. The the least successful investor often is the one who sits on the sidelines month after month, year after year, and, and doesn't get invested. So, you need to have a certain base level of confidence to go. Yes, I'm going to establish. What I can afford to invest, and I'm going to get it to work. But after that, really trying to um, trying to or being confident, thinking that you know what's going on in the world, thinking that you can do something better than others, almost always in investing is going to lead to you making too many decisions that you shouldn't be making. You'll be making marginal decisions. And it is much better in investing to keep it simple rather than to get overconfident and think that you can beat the giant casino that is the investing universe.
0: So we just need a little bit of confidence initially to get going. And we know that confidence is a barrier to certain groups of people. And one thing is often said about women is is that they don't invest because they don't feel confident about investing. With that initial bit of confidence to get over the first hurdle and start, is it a question of just Faking it, basically, just imagining, like Beyonce or Sasha Fierce, that yes, actually, you know, I I can be a good a good investor. I've got this.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting parallel there. It, it is about giving yourself permission to have confidence. And and I often think that people think of risk taking as a binary thing. I'm, I'm either a risk taker or I'm not. And the right answer is that if you want to be good at investing you first have to be conservative and build up all your safety margins, put away the money that you need to to cover your expenditure for the next 12 months. And that buys you the ticket to be risk-taking with the rest of it. And so it's not a case of of flipping from one side to the other. If you have done a certain amount of, of work to secure your financial situation where you've identified some spare cash, then you need to fake it for a little bit, get it to work. And it's interesting. Often it's you know it's like getting into a really cold swimming pool. It's only the first little bit that hurts. It's it, the emotional pain of of getting invested. Often, once we're in the portfolio, we're in very quickly becomes our status quo, and we become comfortable with it. And we can watch things going up and down. But you know, and that that may might make us uncomfortable along the journey. But once you're in, you very seldom feel uncomfortable staying with investing. So it's really that first dipping your toe in the water that becomes important. You specifically mentioned women investors, and I think this is one of the, the really fascinating things about confidence. Psychologists have studied confidence a lot, and what it turns out is that pretty much all of us are overconfident to some degree in our lives, even women. But men are more overconfident than women. In fact, the you know one of the only populations in, in, in the world that has been studied and has not been shown to be overconfident are people who have clinical depression. Now, when you think that you know, <laughs> they, they have the most accurate realistic baseline, it, it makes you feel slightly worried that the rest of us are just wandering through the world with rose tinted glasses. But the fact is that a certain amount of overconfidence may simply be necessary for us to go out there and take chances in life. And you know, if we all were complete realists all the time, maybe we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. And so where this becomes interesting is, yes, you are right that uh, women Uh, in general, seem to have lower overconfidence than men. This can mean that that they do struggle at that first hurdle of, of putting the money to work. What all of the evidence and data tell us, though, is that on average, once people are invested, women do better than men. And the reason is because they are less overconfident. So overconfidence leads you to trade too much. You you think, oh, I'm right. I know where this is going. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to sell that. You're dipping in and out of the market constantly because you think that your opinions are right to a degree more than they are. And so what we see in, particularly in um, non-professional investing, in in retail investing, is that women trade much less than men. And that is in part because they have lower overconfidence in their own opinions minute by minute. And as a result, on average, their returns are higher than men.
0: The idea that we are all Really universally, unless we're clinically depressed, um, overconfident, but to varying degrees, is really revelatory to me, I have to say, because I'd always sort of thought, you know, you're either confident or you're not, and those fit in kind of binary terms. And you sort of it's self perception and perception of others, isn't it? And in danger of going off on a non investment related tangent there, but that is really interesting.
1: If you think about confirmation bias, you know, we we all like to think we're right in all of our beliefs and our opinions. And yes, our beliefs and our opinions are probably to some degree founded on evidence and data and things that we actually know. But really in order to get on in life, we need to have beliefs and opinions and we fill in an awful lot of gaps in our own knowledge with just blind confidence that everything connects together because we can't all be experts in everything and yet we've got to get on with our lives. So I think part of that overconfidence is simply making sure that we have a, su- a sufficient confidence in our worldview to get on with things.
0: Fascinating, which, I mean, if we can do, if it's okay with you, we could use that as a brilliant segue into cleverness because you've just opened it up. So, I mean, if you're not clever, then confidence can fill the gaps is what you're saying. But, you know, let's start with cleverness. Is it? I mean, you need some degree of intelligence to invest.
1: You need to know what the rules are. Okay. And, and I think that's right. And so perhaps, you know, you need to have enough I would make a distinction here between cleverness and self-awareness. And I think that's an important distinction because extremely clever people are not always particularly self-aware. So in order to be a good investor, you need to be aware that investing and preparing for the future is a problem that you need to solve and you need to do something about it. And then you need to have enough self-awareness and and, and enough drive and, and indeed some cleverness to go out and say, well, okay, how do I approach this? Now, you can, of course, go and talk to an advisor who will fill in the, the self-awareness and the cleverness gaps for you. But really, when it comes to investing, trying to do something that requires too much cleverness or intelligence or sophistication is actually a bad idea. There are you know a very small number of very simple rules of investing, and none of them require a great deal of of cleverness to put into work. And one we've mentioned already is figure out what you can afford to to invest, build your your safety margin. But after that, it's one, put it to work, two, diversify, and three, leave it alone. And none of those things require any deep intelligence to follow through on. What they do require is emotional containment, emotional ability to stick through things that might feel tough in the moment. And that is much, much more about self-awareness than it is about intelligence. And so I would say you really beyond, again, having enough cleverness to to find out the basic rules and find out how do I get going and and where do I put my money and how do I fill in this form and all, you know, that sort of basic initial stuff. After that, unless you're trying to shoot the lights out, which you would only do if you're overconfident, and that's not a very good idea, as we've already discussed, um, you really don't need to be clever. You need to be systematic. You need to be disciplined
0: Okay, and that doesn't preclude people taking an interest, does it? So if you want to take an interest and you want to read the FT every day um, and keep up to date with markets and make your own forecasts and predictions, there's nothing to stop you doing that.
1: No, absolutely, and and I think having an interest in investing is is one of those things that does get people into it and it keeps people engaged with it. The main thing there is to make sure that your interest doesn't bleed into that overconfidence because when we see something we read something in the newspaper that day and we think ah you know this has happened i know what's going to happen to the stock price and then 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 the overconfidence kicks in so the, the problem with having an interest in things is you're open to a lot of short term information that comes in that actually you would be better off exhibiting self discipline and going yes i'm more informed but i'm more informed uh, in order to make a decision well at my next monthly rebalancing point rather than using that oh I'm self-informed let me make a change to my portfolio today and this touches on a theme that I know we've touched on before in these talks is as an investor to to do well you should always strive to do less than you think you want to because some portion of your decisions are always going to be driven by stuff you really don't know that much about by your immediate emotional sense and so delaying decisions, postponing them, making sure you make fewer decisions, changing your portfolio less regularly. If you can do all of that, then being informed and interesting is is useful and supplementary to that. If being informed and interested is is doing the opposite, it's leading you to trade more and to drive a lot of short-term behaviors, then it's actually harmful. So
0: what you're saying is, discipline, routine, self-awareness, these are all more, you know, if you had to rate different factors that make somebody a successful investor, these things would come above cleverness and confidence.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. If I, if I give an example, so there's, a, there's an interaction between self-awareness and cleverness. So it may well be that you are clever, you're an expert, you, you you have deep knowledge on some things and not other things. But the crucial thing is, are you sufficiently self-aware to know which the things are that you actually know about and which are the things that you just think you know about? Warren Buffett uses this example of, this analogy of the circle of competence. So your circle of competence are the are the things that you know about and you're right that you know about them. And he quotes Miha Okoka, I think, is saying, do you know, I'm, I'm not really that smart. I'm smart in spots and I stick around those spots. So there are certain areas where you can license yourself to make more frequent decisions or to take a bit more risk and to step away from simplicity into doing something more sophisticated. But you should only ever allow yourself to do that if you are really confident, if you are really certain that that is an area where you have the expertise to do so. And the problem is at the edge of our circle of competence is this sort of shadow of things that we think we know about, things we think we have expertise in, but aren't really inside our circle of competence. And that's the dangerous area There's this uh, quote from Mark Twain, which is, uh, it ain't what we don't know that kills us. It's what we know for sure, but that just ain't true that kills us. So it's our false beliefs. The things that we really have high conviction are true, but are wrong. Those are the most dangerous things. And again, that isn't about being clever. That is about being self-aware and reflecting on where are the things where maybe I don't have quite as much expertise as I think I do.
0: So as an overconfident person, because we're all overconfident, I would just think, well, I'm going to expand my circle of competence then. I'm going to learn more about more. But I'm guessing you're going to say there are some natural limits to that and it might not be that helpful anyway for your investment strategy.
1: No, actually, I mean, I do think we should all constantly be striving to expand our circle of competence. And And before we do that, I mean, just figuring out what your circle of competence is. So here's an interesting and very practical tool you can do is take a big sheet of paper and divide it into... Let's just say three columns to keep it simple. And then there's the the bits of investment that you, you really do know about. I don't know, you've done a course, you've read a lot about it. The bits that you think, I really don't know about that. You know, maybe it's cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin or currency trading in general. That's one for me. I came to the conclusion years ago that I have absolutely no power to predict the future of currency movements. I have a suspicion that nobody has that power, but a lot of people think they do. And then there's a middle one, which is the sort of ground where you go, I think I know a bit about this, but actually, if I'm honest with myself, I, I don't. Now, if you wanted to be more granular, you could split your page into five, you know, and you go from really know nothing to deep expertise. Try and write down what you think fits in each of these columns. Now, of course, once you've done that, that in itself is a reflection of your overconfidence. So don't just stop there. Then take it to someone who knows you and who maybe you you think does know a bit about investing and ask them to mark your assessment of your circle of competence or not. So you can start to tease out, well, where do I genuinely have a license to try and be a bit more clever? And where do I not? And then over time, to your point, yes, we should all try and expand our circle of competence, but we shouldn't try to do it too fast. And we should do it and think, well, you know, where does this thing sit currently on my little spectrum there? And how do I move it from the next stage? And then go through that process of asking what is in my circle of competence and what is out on a fairly regular basis. And it's a process of It's a process of self-awareness, but it's a tool, a practical tool to try and force self-awareness on us because as humans, none of us are naturally inclined to do that ourselves.
0: And presumably, this is a diversification thing too, right? So if if it's true, and I don't know if it is, that uh, we tend to invest in the things that we're most familiar with and all that we're interested in, things that are within our circle of competence, and that circle of competence is relatively narrow, then the risk is that you aren't as well diversified if you're building your own portfolio. Is that fair?
1: That's absolutely right. So I think for the things that are in your circle of competence, you do have a license to be slightly less diversified, you know, because there are things where you might just have a slightly sharper scalpel than someone else of separating out good from bad investments things that are outside of your circle of competence you should not try to make choices about at all you should just diversify the hell out of it and go i it's it's not in my expertise just either leave it alone completely as as i do for example with any currency bets or positions or if you're going to do it diversify as much as you can for the stuff that's inside your circle of competence yes there i think you can relax the diversification a bit. You can concentrate a bit much. But there is the danger that you mentioned is precisely because it's in my circle of competence, then the overconfidence jumps in again and we tend to under-diversify very often. And we under, under, under-diversify because as humans, we like stories. And when we have managed to tell ourselves a story that we believe and we think we're right on because we think it's in our zone of expertise, we think, oh, well, I'm going to take a big bet on that one. So this comes down again to always do slightly less than you think you're going to do. And the last point there, of course, is the the bits that are most tempting are to take those bets on the things that are just outside of your circle of competence, where you go, oh, I think I know about this, so I'm going to put half my portfolio on that and see what happens. Those are the really dangerous ones
0: okay so cleverness and competence cleverness and confidence rather see what i did there not not 100 necessary but this idea of the circle of competence is something that you know people should really think about when they're investing for the first time or even indeed as expert investors thanks so much greg that was brilliant as ever and i feel we could go on forever again which is how how i always like to leave these podcasts so thank you so much thank you for listening Please like and subscribe and of course you can find loads more investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk.